Okay, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Brookview and happy Father's Day. And oh, okay, it's always fun up here. So, my name is Haley. I'm doing announcements today, and it's so great to see your faces here in the building and those online. Hi, John and Andrea. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and, and get going. So, first announcement is uh, our barbecue, July 10th. Right up there, and why are we getting together and having a barbecue in the evening at 5.30? Well, Pastor Jason has been talking about in his sermons, eating and drinking, and we just want to gather together as a community and eat and drink and bring your friends, bring yourselves. You don't need to RSVP, but we want you there, okay? It's a great opportunity to get to know our community. If you have kids or you're bringing kids or your friends' kids, there is kids next door, all right? They will have pizza and a movie. So they'll be all set up there. If it rains, which it shouldn't because it's summer, right, and it's July, we do have a backup plan, and we will be inside. So no excuses. Come hang out. Have fun. If you would like to help, we would love to have you because we need help with setup, teardown, and that's another way to meet people and get to know people really well is when you serve and hang out. So let us know by filling out that communication card or you can text barbecue, BBQ, to that number. The number that you'll see soon, uh, the church number. <laughs> All right, or just fill out that communication card because we need it. Okay, let's see. Next is fill out your communication card. So if you are going to help, fill that out. Let us know you're here and, and do that. And then lastly, it is Father's Day. And we are so grateful. And so if you are a guy, if you're a dad or not, we just want to love you guys, and we're grateful for what you do in the world and what you bring to our church and our community. So on your way out, we have a treat for you. It's a candy bar. So you can decide, guys, if you are a big hunk or a Mr. Good bar, and go ahead and grab that on your way out. But thank you, and I'm going to get off now. Good morning, guys. Haley, that was awesome. It's been way too long since you've given announcements. So good. Last week I talked about how Trevor's sexy. I won't do that today. That would get really weird. Um, but that was wonderful. So, um, you know, we've been talking about eating and drinking for several weeks. We've got one more week. Next week, Jen's gonna, Jen's gonna give the message and she's gonna talk about how to make meal times meaningful. So when you're gathering with other people, how do you do that in a way that people are actually interacting on a level that is beyond surface and getting off of their devices and all of that kind of stuff. And she's a master at this and she has whipped me into shape. It's taken like almost 25 years, but I'm getting there. Uh, but she's gonna unpack everything that she knows on this and it's gonna be awesome. Um, but we've been talking about eating and drinking, and, and one of the most shocking things about Jesus in his own day, in his own culture, was who he would eat with, right? Like the religious community couldn't understand it. They, they assumed that, that Jesus had a lack of discernment about people because he would offer friendship to like 
anybody. You know, he would welcome anybody to his table, sex workers, corrupt tax collectors, Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And one time as Jesus was teaching, there were tax collectors and prostitutes gathering all around him and just pressing in to hear what he had to say. I mean, can you imagine that? So when you think of Jesus teaching, is that what you envision? Sex workers and tax, corrupt tax collectors just dialed in? And it says, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law, and I imagine they're kind of standing in the distance with arms folded. The teachers and the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And it was not a compliment. It raised questions about his credibility. The, the sentiment was, he's, he's not from God, clearly. If he was, he'd know better. And so today, I, I want us to think about just how inclusive God really is. Because the first, from the first human beings onward, people have struggled to fathom the depth of God's grace. I mean, you think about the very first sin. How, how did the first people respond? What did they do immediately after the sin? They hid, right? They were ashamed, and so they hid. And what did God do? He came calling to them, just gently calling to them, where are you? Gently drawing them out of hiding. It was not the response that they were expecting. The great criticisms of Jesus were that he broke the religious rules and that he welcomed sinners to his table. And this brings me to me and you. I just want you to think a little bit about your life these days. Is there any part of you that's been hiding from God? You know, like maybe you've been doing things that, that you shouldn't. Or maybe you haven't been doing things that you feel like you should. Or maybe you've had some, some, some really dark thoughts, or maybe your heart has just been off. It's been in the wrong place recently, and it, it kind of makes you nervous. It kind of scares you. If so, my question is, do you, do you know there's a seat at God's table for you? Like when you envision God looking at you, what, what, do, you, what do you imagine that he feels toward you? Does he feel warmth and love and a desire for you to draw near to him? Or does he feel like disgust and, and frustration and disappointment? When, what, do you, what do you think God feels about you? And for some of you, you'd say, well, you know, the Bible tells me, and so I know God loves me. I go, well, that's great. Um, but my question is, do you feel like God likes you? Does, does he enjoy you? Does, does he see present beauty in you? Does he see future beauty in you? Or like, do you need to, to, to clean yourself up first so that he'll love you? Or, or, or can you just come to him as is? Uh, human beings have consistently diminished God in many, many ways. Like this is, this is what happens. And, and I am convinced that much of the way that we live is, a, is the direct consequence of the size of our God. And the biggest problem that most of us have is that our God is too small. We're not confident that we're in the hands of a fully competent, all-knowing, ever-present, utterly loving God that's bigger than anything else in this world. Our God is too small. And if we go through the day with a shrunken God, there are consequences. Fear and anxiety are always lurking because everything depends on me, right? My whole life, it all depends on me making it all happen, and it could all fall apart at any moment. When I have a need, if I live with a shrunken God, it feels unnatural to pray because I'm not really sure, to be honest, that God, God actually listens 
and that he acts and that prayer matters. If I live with a shrunken God, when I need to confront someone or confront something, I tend to shrink back. I tend to pull punches because if I don't live in the security of God's, uh, of God's acceptance of me, then I become a slave to whatever it is that I think other people think of me. If I live with a shrunken God and somebody gets mad at me, like if somebody disapproves of me, then I get all worked up because I don't have the security of knowing that if a giant God loves me, if he cares for me as my father, then the opinions of flawed, broken people are not the final word about me. So when human beings shrink God, it has consequences. They offer prayer without faith. They worship without awe, service without joy. They suffer without hope. Like, nothing will diminish your life faster than living with a shrunken God. And one of the the great ways that we underestimate God is just his grace. We find ourselves plagued by a sense that we're falling short, and we're just riveted by this sense that God is disappointed. If for some of you, I go, what do you think God thinks of you? And you're just like, you're like, he's disappointed. Right? He's, he's disappointed. We feel like he opposes us. And we feel like, so rather than coming to him for grace, we just, we, we hide. And there's all kinds of different ways we hide. Maybe we don't pray. Maybe we, we don't go, we're not around Christian people. Maybe we don't go to church. Maybe we do, but we're just not authentic. There's all kinds of ways that we hide. But here's the reality of being human. Can I just say something that we all know, but we tend to forget? We all fall short. Like every single one of us falls short. We all sin. Now, here's the thing. Some of you heard heard me say this before. Some of us are like wild, sensational sinners. Some of us are very dull, boring sinners. Okay, but we, we all sin. We all do things we shouldn't do. We all don't do things that we should. And, and then we have all these things that we know we should stop and we don't. So I think we can all relate to the struggle Paul talks about in Romans 7. Paul writes, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Can you guys relate to that? My gosh, that's my, my entire Christian journey. So, so there's the type of person, there's the type of life we want to live, right? And then there's, then there's the life that we actually live. There's the, the type of person we want to be, and then there's the person we actually are. And the problem is, really for all of us, if we're honest, there's a gap. And, and when that gap becomes painfully real to us, when we know we're falling short, how we handle that is critical. And our view of God in that moment makes all the difference. So today, I, I want us to look at the stories of two different guys. Both of these were inner circle, very close to Jesus guys. And both blew it with Jesus big time. Okay, the first guy is, is Peter. Now, I love Peter. Peter is the opposite of me 
Because I, I'm like, well, I don't I want to get into that. But <laughs> Peter is a highly reactive feeler who lives with passion. And so I love Peter's emotion. He put, just puts himself out there. Like any, he's the first guy, if somebody asks a question, he's the first guy to raise his hand, right? You know, I'm the guy that sits in the back and goes, let's see if people, let's see how this goes before I, you know, right? Peter's an act first, think second kind of guy. So usually, whenever something happens, the rest of the disciples, they all freeze, right? They freeze. Peter, he acts. So like one time, the disciples are on a boat, and they're in a major storm, and they're all freaking out, and they're thinking they're going to die. And then suddenly, Jesus comes walking toward them, you know, on the water. And before they can really even get their minds around what's happening, Peter's out of the boat, and he's walking on the water with Jesus. That's awesome. Another time, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say I am? Now, that's not really a threatening question, and so they all jump in on that one. They're like, oh, we can tell you what people say. They're like, well, Jesus, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or, or one of the prophets. But then Jesus kind of puts it back on them, and he says, okay, but who do you say I am? And there's all this awkward silence, right? They're just kind of like, uh, don't want to give the wrong answer. And while everybody else freezes, Peter puts himself out there and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, ding, ding, ding. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I envision Peter going, sweet. <laughs> right? But then, but then right after that, Jesus starts telling the disciples that he's going to suffer and die, and they're just looking at each other in confusion and disbelief. And so again, Peter's the guy that steps out and takes action. He pulls Jesus aside with an arm around him, kind of like Jesus like sidebar, let's go. And he, he's like, first of all, Jesus, this whole suffering and dying business, I don't know what you, it's not gonna happen because I am not gonna let that happen to you. As if Jesus needs Peter to protect him. And second of all, Jesus, you gotta stop talking like that around the guys. It's bad for morale, <laughs> right? We're, we're trying to start a movement and so I, I, I don't want to tell you how to do it or anything, you know, like you're the rabbi, but, but you, you should try being more positive. <laughs> and so Jesus looks Peter right in the eye, and he says, get behind me, Satan. He's like, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And it's interesting, because when someone is off, Jesus doesn't like sugarcoat it, right? Like question for you guys. Have you ever been in a, at work and you're in like a brainstorming meeting and you, you throw out an idea and your boss calls you Satan? <laughs> like, you know, you know it's a bad idea when that happens, right? So, so on, on one hand, Peter's the rock. Jesus is like, I'm going to build the church on you. You're the foundation. On the other hand, he's like, no, you are Satan incarnate. And so he's just sort of this bipolar existence with Jesus, with Peter. He, just, he puts himself out there, and sometimes it goes awesome, but most of the time it goes really badly. But Peter is a guy who, who follows his passions. Like, he feels deeply. He acts decisively, quickly, not always wisely. 
But one thing is for sure with Peter, he's not going to sit around doing nothing. Right? He's a strong bias toward action. Um, and we see his personality coming out on the night of the Last Supper. Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples. And right before, or, you know, as a part of the meal, Jesus washes their feet, right, as we saw last week. And then after the meal, they worship and they sing together. And then they, they go to the Mount of Olives to pray. And Jesus tells them that during, you know, that during his suffering and his death, he's warning them. He's trying, to, he's trying to let them know that he knows. He says that they will all fall away. And of course, Peter speaks up. He's like, <clears throat> Jesus, did you say that we'll all fall away? Because clearly you've forgotten that I'm here. And so here's the conversation. Uh, it says, you will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter emphatically insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. So here they are, they're on the Mount of Olives. They've celebrated Passover, they've worshiped, they've prayed, Jesus has shared his heart. They feel deeply connected to Jesus and they feel deeply connected to one another. And in this moment, they are all in with Jesus, right? Especially Peter. So when Jesus says, you will all fall away, they can't even imagine that. There's just no way. So Peter says, even if all fall away, I will not. In other words, like, I don't, Jesus, I don't know about all these other losers, <laughs> but I'm your guy, right? And then he adds on, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Have you ever been there with Jesus? Like, have you ever felt like that? Because I, I think that when Peter said this, he absolutely meant it. He's so full of passion and, and devotion in this moment, he, he can't possibly imagine betraying Jesus. So when he says, Jesus, I would die for you, I think he absolutely means that. Like, have you ever been in a moment where you have felt that? Like, you ever had a moment where you experienced Jesus so powerfully? Maybe it's at camp or maybe in a church service. Maybe it's, you know, when you're praying or maybe you're in a group of people and something really special is happening. It's very tangible and, and it just grips you and it fills you. And you have a moment of clarity where, where you get a glimpse of how beautiful and how good Jesus actually is. And you know it's real and you know it's right. And in that moment, you feel like you would give anything for Jesus. Well, Peter's in that place. Jesus is more important to him than life itself. Even if all fall away, I will not. Even if I have to die with you. So fast forward just a couple of hours. There's a few hours later. Jesus is praying in the garden and, and Peter struggles to stay awake, right? And, and when the company of soldiers comes to arrest Jesus, true to his nature, Peter springs to action, right? And he whips out his sword and he goes nuts and he cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers. And Jesus is like, for Pete's sake. <laughs> Come on. You guys know that's where that came from, right? For Pete's sake, what are you doing? He's like, okay, this is not the way my kingdom is going to come. 
with you chopping people's ears off, Pete. And so Jesus goes over. He's like, Pete, put it away. He goes over and he heals the guy's ear. I mean, what a scene. And then to Peter's amazement, Jesus just allows himself to be arrested. Peter is utterly confused. This is not how things are supposed to go. Jesus is supposed to become the king. There's supposed to be a revolution and they're supposed to overthrow Roman oppression and there's gonna be a new kingdom where God is, God is worshiped and honored and, and people, this is, so try to feel what Peter's feeling in this moment. He's like, if Jesus is the Messiah, like, where's the revolution? Like, where's the kingdom? This is not how this is supposed to go at all. So Peter is entering into this really dark hour there's confusion and fear and doubt so so fast forward now just a couple of hours from that peter faces even more pressure and he fails okay classic scene verse 54 then seizing him they led him away talking about jesus and took him into the house of the high priest peter followed at a distance and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together peter sat down with them a servant girl saw him seated there in the, in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Jesus is in the courtyard now. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Can you imagine what that must have been like? As he denies Jesus for the third time, Jesus, who's now in the courtyard, bloody and beaten, looks right at Peter. They lock eyes. Can you imagine that? And I just want to ask, have you ever been there? Have you ever had a moment where you have totally blown it with Jesus? Have you ever vowed not to do whatever it is you tend to do? You ever had a, a moment with God where you, where you say, okay, God, I'm, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to betray you like that, Jesus. From here on, I'm living for you. But then circumstances change and the pressures of life happen and you're, you're not at camp anymore. You're not at church anymore. You're not with that group of friends who love Jesus together anymore. And the pressure comes and the temptation comes and you betray Jesus. You ever been there? I want to quickly look at, at another famous person who betrayed Jesus. I want us to think a little bit about the story of, of Judas. Because like Peter, Judas was a follower and a friend of Jesus for three years. Like Peter, Judas left behind his life to walk with Jesus and follow Jesus. Like Peter, Judas saw the miracles and he walked with Jesus. And like Peter, Jesus loved him. Like Jesus loved Judas. And you cannot convince me that, that Judas wasn't sincere at first. I mean, I think Judas loved Jesus. I think he was powerfully drawn to Jesus. I think he truly was a friend of Jesus. He believed. But somehow, some, somewhere, something went horribly wrong, and Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And, and as we know, 
Judas led the soldiers to Jesus to arrest him. And, and the sign for the soldiers was that he, he kissed Jesus. I mean, what a betrayal. So as a disciple, as an intimate friend of Jesus, he did the unthinkable. And the level of remorse and guilt that he experienced is unimaginable. Try to feel this scene now from the perspective of, of Judas. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Now, again, I want to ask you a serious question. The betrayal of Judas was unthinkable. But was it unforgivable? Think about the heart of Jesus for a second. Do, do you think Jesus could have ever forgiven Judas? I do. I, I think Jesus' love extends that far. I think that the payment on the cross would even cover Judas. So what if Judas didn't give up on the grace of God? Imagine, like, like what if Judas actually experienced the forgiveness of Jesus? What if Judas would have encountered the resurrected Jesus and, and, and what if Judas would have gone beyond remorse and he would have repented and he would have cried out to Jesus? I'll tell you what I think. I think Jesus would have forgiven him. I, I think it would have been one of the most tender moments in all of human history. I mean, there could have been healing and joy and renewal on unspeakable levels. And then you think about what his life could have been like after that. I mean, imagine the ministry that he could have had, the story that he could have told. I mean, what if there were a book in the Bible written by Judas? And what if, what if it was just a story of unthinkable grace? What if Judas had been a part of all the action in the early church? What if God had used him to do something amazing? But it never happened. Judas could not fathom that Christ's grace could extend that far. You guys, have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like what you've done is so bad or you've just messed up so many times that you are somehow beyond the grace of Jesus? Like maybe you're here this morning and, and, and you're, you're actually in that place in this season of your life right now. You've struggled with something so deeply for so long that deep down you wonder if maybe God has just given up on you. And if that's you, I just, I just want to challenge your picture of God. Because when we, when we mess up or, or fall short, and we all do all the time, you guys, our picture of God, what we, in, what we imagine him to be like, it really matters. It can completely change the trajectory of our lives. So, okay, let's shift back to Peter. Like Judas, 
Peter was also seized with remorse. Like Judas, Peter was also devastatingly ashamed. Peter's world was also rocked by what he had done, but Peter didn't give up. Peter encountered Jesus again, and that encounter changed everything. So I, I want us to look at what happened between Peter and Jesus in John chapter 21. This is after Jesus has been raised from the dead. It's after Jesus has appeared to the disciples a few times. And, and so on this particular morning, Jesus has just had breakfast with the disciples. And then check out this amazing interaction between Jesus and Peter. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus goes on, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And John then says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. So Jesus now gives Peter the chance to affirm his love for Jesus three times. Ironic. He explains that eventually Peter's love for Jesus will actually cost him his life. That he will, he will live out the promise that he made a few weeks before. That in the end, his devotion will lead to suffering and death. And then Jesus says very simply, he looks him in the eye and he says, Peter, follow me. Three years earlier on the, on the shores of that same lake, Jesus had spoken the very same words to Peter. It was the very beginning. Follow me. And then all the teaching and all the miles that they walked together and all the miracles and all the stories and all the teaching and all the moments and all the meals that they shared, all that Peter had seen and all of his impulsiveness and failures and his ups and downs and his flaws and failures now revealed, none of it changed the same initial invitation that Jesus gave to Peter and that he continues to give to you and me. Follow me. And the truth is, following Jesus is more than a, a, a one-step deal. It is a, it's a lifelong walk and there are bound to be ups and downs. There's bound to be failure and growth. Like the, the maturity that happens in us in Christ over many, many years, it doesn't happen in a flash. It doesn't happen in a moment. It comes because we keep showing up to the table of Jesus again and again and again, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. It is a long, long walk. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how Peter's story ended, but there are, are reliable ancient documents that tell us that Peter was crucified under Emperor Nero, for telling the world about Jesus. Peter spent his life telling people about the grace of God. He told people about it until it killed him. And he died as a martyr because he refused to quit testifying about Jesus. 
The night of Jesus' arrest was not Peter's last chance to love Jesus. Many more chances would come, and Peter would eventually get it right, but only because he did not react like Judas. And so maybe you're here this morning, and, and there's, you're, like, you're ashamed of something. Or you're feeling totally inadequate as a follower of Jesus, and there's a part of you that, that, is, that is leaning toward kind of giving up on God. Because you cannot see how God's grace could extend to you. Here's what Jesus clearly revealed to us about God. He wants to remake us into new people. And he sees potential beauty and strength in us that we can't fathom. And in Christ, God's grace is available to everyone. Jesus extended grace to anyone and everyone that cried out. He extended it to a woman caught in adultery. He extended it to a corrupt tax collector named Zacchaeus. He extended it to a lifetime criminal just moments before death, a criminal who simply said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He extended it to a murderer named Saul who became Paul, and I think he would have extended it to Judas too, if only. If only Judas hadn't given up on God, if only. And so no matter where you've been or, or what you've done, there's a place at the table for you. And so the thing about Jesus is you, you don't have to clean up first. You just, you just come. You just take your place and you let Jesus love you and you let Jesus tell you who you are and you let his presence awaken in you the things that are good and beautiful. What Jesus wants us to understand is that despite our many flaws and failures, and we all have them, we always have a seat at his table. Peter returned to the table. Judas never did. The invitation of Jesus is constant. It's just, he's just saying, follow me. So this morning, um, we're gonna take communion together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the former murderer of Christians named Paul writes this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to do communion together, and I just want to invite you to the table of Jesus. Um, and here's how we're going to do this. We're, we're going to do an extended time of worship, and um, at any point, when it makes sense to you, take some time and reflect, maybe in prayer, maybe just singing and worship. And when it makes sense, um, you can come up and get the bread and the juice, and you can drink it and eat it there, or you can take it back to your seat, or you can kneel at the front here and spend some time in prayer. We also have some in the back. Also, by the way, we have a gluten-free option in the back, if, if that's you and you need that. Um, so we're just going to spend time worshiping, remembering who Jesus is, remembering who we are because of Jesus, and take communion together. Father in heaven, Your grace is unbelievable to me. Today's Father's Day, and I think about
I think about being a father and I think about the reality that um, when I was 18, 19 years old, I, I didn't want to have any kids. I just wanted to get married to a very wealthy career woman and travel the world in luxury. But you, you took me to a different place and you gave me a different heart, you gave me different values and you blessed me with amazing kids. And I think about what a joy it is and what it has been to, to, to watch them grow and mature and to sit around the table together and to, to teach them how to do certain things. My gosh, I'm teaching Brooklyn to drive next week as she enters driver's ed. Are you kidding me, God? <laughs> Your spirit should direct people away from Muckle Teal for a while. <laughs> but I think about what a joy it is um, to, to love them. And, and they've, made all, they've made mistakes, as all kids do over the years. And thank, thank God you have, you've helped them see that, that no matter what happens, no matter how fall, far, far they fall short or whatever happens, I'm in their corner, I'm rooting for them. And for some reason, we can look at human fathers and go, well, of course. But with you, we have a hard time going, well, of course. But on this Father's Day, God, would you, would you help us to remember what the heart of a father is really like and the way that you just want to see us grow by showing up to the table again and again, day after day, week after week, month after month, season after season, year after year, decade after decade, to learn from you how to, how to be like you. God, would you move us in the direction you want us to go, but would you just continually help us feel your grace because it is an ever, it's just a never-ending flow. This morning, God, would we, if any of us are in this place where we're just feeling a lot of shame or inadequacy or whatever, God, would you speak to us? Would you just speak truth over us? Would you speak your grace over us? And if we've been in hiding, would you help us come out and just, just be at the table with you as our Father?